0: Hello, welcome to Your Life's Not Over podcast. I'm your host, Micah Marino, and this is episode six. And I am so thankful that you have tuned in and joined us. This is the first podcast that I'm doing a video for. And so if you're watching this for the first time, hey, you are in the front row seat of the beginning, hopefully of more episodes and more of the conversation that we hope to have here on Your Life is Not Over podcast. So really quickly, uh, what is Your Life is Not Over? Well, the premise of the show, is simply this, all of us in life have had moments where we have said to ourselves in one way or another, my life is over. Now it could be in large movements in life where there's such a thing as like a tragedy or an outcome you didn't expect or plan, um, whether it's a health scare, whether it's the end of uh, marriage, whether it's a a crisis of faith, and we all in one way or another have said my life is over, at least the life that I knew it to be. And so we like to explore that on this show um, in different topics that we've covered so far of when we have felt that our life is over and why it's not when it comes to a life that's living in faith, that's living with virtue. And that's um, about self-care and self-leadership. And so my experience, uh, I encourage you to listen to the first episode of this podcast. And I can post a link in the video below um, of what my story is about. But just really quickly, um, first and foremost, I speak from a platform of experience of what it's like to live through basically losing almost everything in my life um, about 10 years ago and uh, the life that I have built since then and being able to say now for others that your life isn't over when these big scary um awkward and terrible things happen to you and the reason why those things are not the end of your life have to do with um your view of the world your view of life um for me i'm a pastor i'm a husband i'm a father i'm a stepdad um and my encouragement to you is that you live into this new life um that's building of faith that's building of character And that's building of new opportunity of experience through these hard times. So today's episode is titled, Your Life is Not Over When You Lose Common Ground. Now, common ground is usually in relationships, how we have had before COVID, before this mess of quarantine, before these demonstrations and these protests and these acts of violence and um, all these buzzwords and all these... um, uh different sources of influence that try to help us understand the national and international narrative that's going on um common ground have been usually related in spaces or places where you have uh, commonality with one another now i don't know your current situation you may have returned to work you may not be uh, employed you may be status quo except for wearing masks and social distancing ordinances um Uh, I I don't know, but the thing that I've realized as I've reemerged back into certain aspects of my life is that some of the people who, um, I share common space with, um, when we have reconnected, we have found ourselves to be in different spaces altogether on some different issues or some different perspectives. And, um, like you, you probably have reentered into familiar places that feel unfamiliar because there's new guidelines, there's new expectations, there's new people, there's a loss of people, um, and sometimes that commonality that we were so familiar with—the routine, the commute, the the gym class, the um, grocery store pickup, the whatever it is—the um, daycare people, you know, the routine with school—all these kind of common spaces are now gone, and we're now living in the hereafter of what it's like to live in a space without that common ground. And more often than not, I am seeing that when people have lost this external kind of common ground the external pressures that happen um start to give way and give insight to the internal dissolve of people's securities people's um kind of comfort zones and not always is it pretty when you've lost some of that common ground it's insane to me some of the uh discussions and arguments that people are having um be it petty be it um you know, race relations, be it politics, be it economic realities, be it disease, be it whatever it is, and the way that people are treating one another. It is insane. I cannot believe the way people speak to one another. And I'm talking about people in the church, people outside the church. That's an, that's another argument, another reality. And so this episode, I want to talk about what you can do when you are feeling that internal pressure or excuse me, external pressure, and you're dealing with the internal realities of your dissolve, uh, tapping out your resolve. And resolve, I love that word, resolve. I don't, not a lot, of people, a lot of people use that a lot, but the resolve is to be firm, to be sure, to be absolute on the things in life that you are building your life on. Now, I resolve to be a person of peace. Now. Does that mean I'm going to defend? Absolutely, if I need to. But my resolve is to be a stance where I'm loving, where I'm seeking to understand before I'm being understood. But there's so many people right now who don't want to understand. They don't care. They just want to make sure you understood. You understood their gripe. You understood their pain. You understood their complaint. Um, There's a lot more Karens in the world than before. Um, Yeah, I'm trying not to call too many people Karens, but it's kind of funny. But... The thing is, is that as we've lost common ground with people, be it in your relationships, be it in your friendships, be it in your church family, be it in your family family, uh, what can you do right now where you need to rebuild and reestablish that common ground? Now, one of the, the greatest hopes that we have uh, as people of faith, and so if you're not a person of faith, but you're wanting to build a worldview that has character and strength, then I would suggest to you to to apply some of the words and teachings of Jesus, you know, Jesus talks about the Sermon of the Mount, that an eye for an eye, now you've heard it said, he he talks about in chapter six, or chapter seven, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you give, I take, you hurt, I hurt you back, now, in that, um, teaching, he talks about do not resist an evil person. If they ask for your shirt, give them your know, you for If they ask for your cloak, give them your shirt. If they ask for a mile, give them two. Now, I don't necessarily think that's saying that we are to, when we lose common ground with people, when we're in conflict, when we're being um, inundated with these um, opinions and ideals and ideas that are um, threatening to us, that if we're going to apply that teaching, we don't just kind of cave in and become a doormat. No, Um, there's a few things we need to do in those moments. First is that we need to not be ignorant on the issues. I, I challenge you, if you are a person of faith, do not be satisfied with the level of understanding you have for people's perspective outside yourself. If you are doing that, then what you're basically doing is saying, this cave is enough, let me roll the door in front of it and be done. That's not what we're called to do. That's not loving and that's not productive to the conversation. Basically, just because you don't understand someone's experience and background and situation um, doesn't mean it isn't important and valuable to them and to the narrative. As people of faith, we're called to understand and to love one another. And that means loving one another. The only step you may be able to take or willing to take right now is to have empathy. Empathy is being able to put yourself in their shoes. Compassion is someone who's able to do something about it. So, at least have empathy for those who are um, a threat to you or where you've lost common ground. Um, Seek to at least hear a little bit of the argument or the stance so that you can appreciate where their passions are coming from, even if you feel that they're misguided or unbased. And so that's something a lot of people are not wanting to do right now. They're so fed up with um, the threats that they have shut down their eyes and their ears and they either cave in and fly away into places where they're more isolated or they fight back and bite back. And that's really not the kingdom ethic that we're called to live. We're not called to be a type of people where we are responding in a way that just we've had enough, we had our limit, we've lost our threshold, now we get to really tear into someone just because we have did the best we could. No, um, That's the whole point of that message in there, Eye for an Eye and Tooth for a Tooth, is that we continue to give of ourselves not relying on our own resources, not relying on our own um, strength, not relying on our own ability to love. We're supposed to at some point um, produce so much um, empathy to compassion, so much willingness to forgive and to love that it's not coming from an internal source that you and I have. It comes from an, ex- an eternal source and that's the Holy Spirit. And so that's the thing that I think a lot of what you can do right now, when you've lost common ground with someone, is to really tap into that inexhaustible source of empathy and compassion and love and at least be a listener to understand rather than being quick to silence them, to tell them they're stupid or ill-informed or misguided um, and to try to assert your point of view. Now, that takes humility, right? Because that means that you're actually putting someone before yourself. I think that's kind of what the whole discipleship life is about, isn't it? Ephesians 5.21, um, submit yourself out of reverence for your best friend. No, the people that are like you. No, the one that pays you compliments or is uh, going to agree with you or not challenge you. No, submit yourselves out of reverence for Christ. It's because of him that you and I are going to re- submit ourselves, be servants to one another, love each other, um, forgive, extend uh, uh, forgiveness to one of the, for those who are perhaps being hurtful to us. And so, that's, that's the first piece that I want to talk about, is that we have to be willing to be putting ourselves in a, a posture to where we hear all this tirade, we hear all this frustration. There's deeper hurts and deeper realities that if we're going to say that we are people of faith, people of character, people that are leading forward, um, we have to remember there's a certain level where if we've lost common ground, are they really the people that we're depending on in the first place to find um, legitimacy and to be validated for um, the type of people that we are. No, it, it needs to come from the head. And that's Jesus. So and it's painful, especially if it's a family member and they don't want to talk to you. Uh, my wife and I, we've experienced a little bit of that um, from distant, distant, distant folks who are a few times removed in our family, but their family. And on a political scale, they're wanting to attack us. And from that, you're like, wait a minute, we're family. And so because we have difference of views, that means you start to insult and insinuate and um, character assassinate. Well, what happened there? I don't get that. And I don't get, I hope that that's not the case for you as well, is that when you lose common ground, just because you don't have a leg to stand on, on the same square patch of ground, doesn't mean that suddenly everything out is out the window. Civility, respect, um, <clears throat> mutual um, appreciation for differences. I mean that's the basis in the fabric of our country but it's also the basis in the fabric of being able to be ambassadors of the kingdom just because you're not in agreement we're not looking for homogenous or the same umness ness in everyone part of what we are able to build in the richness of a culture is its diversity what's building upon that is the ability for it to be unified unified in ethics unified in goals unified in economic and and values that um, uh, build people up that brings equality and opportunity for people to um, to advance and to be heard and for injustices to be taken away and for oppression to be alleviated so that whether or not you are aligning on the same patch of ground of faith or politics or um, other areas that are kind of in the stratosphere of social differences you don't lose a common ground of, of your basis of humanity and i think we're so quick to dehumanize and demonstratize one another to where we believe the other person who's also made in the image of God, just like you are, um, has no commonality. And so what that gives away to is a preference and an exclusive uh, point of view that's hurtful. Now, the question that we need to ask ourselves, if we've lost some common ground right now with somebody, have we been deserving of rebuilding it back on our end? Have we been patient? Have we been kind? Have we been willing to extend ourselves in ways that produces um, a new commonality? Now, something may be funny about this, but you know, we first saw all the blue masks, and no one had blue masks, and then we saw the people who had the, the M95 mask and the other ones, and, and now we're starting to see people with homemade masks, and now we're starting to see people with um, uh, just kind of differences of their style of mask, be it a bandana or... Um, a uh, full sock or <laughs> uh, my father-in-law has one with a monkey face on it. I just ordered one with like a full hillbilly Charles Daniel rest in peace beard on it. And um, I can't wait to wear that around cause it's going to trip people up. And I want people to be a little confused about that, but there's a commonality in that, that we all are in this place together and we're deciding to fight each other over the silliest of things because um, you know, I don't like the fact that I have to wear a mask in certain areas. I don't, want to say that it's um one way or another that it's effective or not effective because i don't have the exclusive answer on that um but i'm considering what what is it like for me uh to wear or not wear something when people are sitting in a a space of fear when people have kids who have diseases that they're susceptible my wife has uh, a chronic illness and so I have to be uh, one of the first to consider what I'm doing. Is it, is it protecting and is it creating space for um, fine commonality that we're all in this together? Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with your local or state um, reality or not, we're in this together because we're connected. And so to say that you're not connected and that you're an island, then you're blind. Uh, you're not an island. Um, now, I can respect the differences that you hold, but you have to also do the same in the other direction. So, uh, I prefer to, that the reality was that it's like other, um, seasons of, uh, infections or other diseases. And we're able to continue life as, as usual. Um, but we're not, and I can want that all day long, but that doesn't change the fact that there are, uh, laws, there are guidelines, there are mandates, there are forces that are taking shape. And I don't agree with all of them. Uh, I agree with some of them, but I have to understand that part of my role as someone who loves Jesus and who loves people and has broken myself is that I have to find common ground. And I also have to be available to bridging that gap in differences of opinion. And so, yeah, I will wear one. When I go into home Depot, I will wear one when I go into Starbucks, I will wear one, uh, if needed in my church, I will wear one, um, you know, out and about when needed, um, out of care for others. Um, it's a small sacrifice. Um, You know, and some may say, well, that's just a precursor to larger compliance or a larger, um, you know, just being willing for others to to take choice away from you. Well, I still have a choice. Um, And here's the thing about common when you want to build common ground, especially those who are different than you, different than you. Now, when you receive a stimulus, and I'm not talking about a check, I'm talking about the stimulus of a message or an idea that's different than you, than yours, how, who has the power to for your response? You or the other person? 100% you. Now, you're not an animal, okay? You're a human being. You're given a free will. And so when you have a stimuli of... Um, a difference of opinion, a different political ideal, a different racial narrative, a different um, social or class understanding, a different economic hope or fear or hate—you contain a hundred percent of the choice and how you're going to respond to that. Now, my hope is is that um, we see those who are on the front lines of spitting and screaming in other people's faces. Um, for whatever reason, they have taken the stimulus in their life and they have conducted themselves in a way that is spewing and is, um, is full of just emotion and obscenities and at times violence. Um, they've made decisions whether they're aware of it or not. I can't speak for those folks, but the thing is, is that they have made a decision that's led them to the front line of the problem in that type of a manner. You have make are making decisions that's going to lead you to the front line of however you're deciding to deal with it. And so the hope is, is that you are finding yourself responding out of your kingdom-minded ethic. Ethic is just a moral standard of how you're going to live a principled life of virtue and morality. And you're going to live that out making choices in response to the stimulus that you get. Now here's one response that I am combating even in my own home is that I'm seeing this mentality of victimhood come in further and further and it is frustrating. It's frustrating as a father of four kids, um, two out of four are teenagers and two are preteens, how many times I'm starting to see when it comes to accountability and responsibility, there is an attitude of victimhood. It's not my fault. It's, It's their fault. I'm not responsible. Well, my feelings are hurt. Well, you know, they take all this on and it justifies a lack of responsibility and it does nothing to rebuild and repair relationships and the moment or the problem that they're attached to. So we see this going on everywhere. They shift the blame. Now, how often are you shifting the blame for your problems or are you taking and owning up some of the responsibility for the things that are in your control? More and more, we see people shifting the blame, and it's so frustrating. And then if you're going to adopt um, an ideal or an idea of being a victim in every situation, let me tell you what's at the end of that. Nothing. You don't reget anything at the end of being a victim. All you have is a label, and all you have is a stance that has to continually feed itself that you've been victimized, you've been received the short end of some stick, and that it's everyone else's problem. Now, that's an extreme form. But when I see that in my kids' shaping, I want to know where it's coming from. Where are you being told that you're a victim in this? Where are you being told that you're a victim because you have to do laundry? Where's that coming from? Now, I have to say that it's probably coming from some of the ideals that they're seeing in other sources, media, friends, well... They're not getting a lot of that right now, but we have to understand that this is a very tempting and enticing stance to not have to deal with personal responsibility. But I am sorry you are responsible. Like I said, you're not an island to yourself. You have to um, devalue and um, dislodge any desire to say I'm a victim in this, whatever the situation is. Not even talking about current events. I'm talking about just in life because lots of people will, will, lots of people, excuse me, a lot of people will claim to be a victim and it immobilizes them, it paralyzes them, and it, and it removes them from any opportunity of working through the deeper issues that cause it, of being able to address the people or scenarios that are blocking them from moving forward. And it it produces a um, a crutch, a dependency on that form of identity. I am not going to do. I'm not going to um, allow, best of my ability, to be a father to some children, male and females, who decide that the best way in life is to say that their ups and downs are dependent upon someone else. They have a big part to play in the life that's in front of them people in the church that I lead they there's a lot of decisions in their life that they can make recognize or not make the decisions and not recognize that helps them move in a direction that develops maturing faith that's full and fulfilled. The hope is is that your faith is full and fulfilled to the point where the things that perhaps were hurting you have now taught you lessons and then adversity was a force that decided uh, that you decided was going to be a force that wasn't going to keep you down but was going to actually build you up. I love that idea that adversity in life can actually be a teacher. Failure is a wonderful teacher. It's the most painful teacher, but it's one of the most effective if you decide to say, what did I do to screw that up? And how can I learn from it? So I want to close with this is that um, just what we covered. If you've lost common ground with someone, um, you, you need to, one, be willing to understand before being understood. You know, that's a Stephen Covey um, principle. Uh, you need to perhaps uh, be willing to not be proud and blind, but willing to have empathy. And if you are bold enough and big enough of a person to have compassion to do something about that, um, while at the same time not compromising the kingdom values that you've been given, um, you can't bring yourself to a place of agreement with someone who is going against uh, kingdom principles. So it's an old adage and it's not always effective in, in convincing people, but you love you love the person and you hate their behavior. Um, so can you do that? Are you big enough to do that? Um, I'm challenged to do that at times, um, but that's the call. That's the opportunity to see some real uh, effectiveness in the life that you're living. And if you are someone that wants to glorify Jesus Christ in your life, then that's a fundamental place where you can demonstrate that this God that you live for and this Messiah that you call the Je- Lord is real. Um, otherwise, you're just religious and you look like a bigot and you have all these uh, limitations because that person doesn't fit into your comfort zone. Oh, that hurts. I know. But that's the reality. So that's kind of the first part. The other part was, uh, what are you doing to build a road into a place where you can find new common ground? One of the greatest things about the gospel is that it's a story of restoration. If you've lost common ground with someone and you feel that the door is closed, maybe it is. Move on, but learn the lesson. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a season with a loved one, a family member, a child, a friend, a parent, co-worker, boss, I don't know, neighbor. There will be opportunities if you are led by God and you live a life of faith and a life of restoration that God can redeem hurts. God can heal. God can make a way. We're all about singing that song from Leland Waymaker, right, in the church. We love that because we're stuck inside and we're like, God, just make a way out of this because my kids are driving me nuts. Waymaker, miracle worker, right? We're all singing that. Allow God to lead you into that direction of restoration. (laughs) And finally, um, the last part was rejecting the mentality of victimhood, that whatever comes your way, a stimulus, a stimuli, how are you going to respond? Your kid has the whiny face because they want more soda or the next iPad. Um, How are you going to respond to that? Someone um, rips you a new one because you registered to vote or you um, uh, said something that. Uh, was ignorant or you said something that was arrogant or you said something fully in your resolve of what you believe and you feel slighted, you feel you got the short end of the stick I encourage you not to live into a mentality of victimhood because it doesn't produce anything good for you that well is dry, it looks enticing and it's getting wider as more and more people want to be in that space so that they get entitled, where uh, they feel entitled to get attention it holds nothing for you, but broken relationships, um, more heartache, and really, as far as the, the individuals in my life that, um, and I've had people who've, who've lived into that mentality of victimhood, people that have worked for me, people that I've worked with, people that I've served with in the church, and it it really, um, the, the, the root of character is pretty shallow. And it's hard because they don't want to endure the trials and tribulations of what it means to live a life in a broken world. Um, but that's what we're called to do. So. Those are some of my thoughts. I hope that you've enjoyed some of this. Um, uh, my my desire is that we continue to build this audience and that uh, if you have lived in this, something where you feel like your life was over and you've recovered from it and you want to talk to me, I would love to share uh, this space with you. Uh, I've had some good conversations with people who have encountered setbacks in life, be it a chronic disease, be it a first-time parent, be it someone who has experienced Uh, trauma or has overcome great odds to see the new life that they're living, whether it's in faith or in prosperity because they've stuck to their guns and they've built some character out of it. So uh, if you could, if you could like this podcast, uh, give it. um, head over to Apple Podcasts and give it a five-star rating. Uh, If you want to give me three or less, I encourage you to... To not <laughs> and just being honest, I want to build an audience, and so um, I hope that you've been willing to listen in. Um, if you are watching this video, then I encourage you to subscribe, I encourage you to click the bell, and I encourage you to be in the dialogue and the conversation. So, just remember, your life is not over, and the life that you seek to find uh, can take shape after your your worst um, failure and your biggest setback. It all depends on how you're going to take those scars and those lessons and propel them forward into a new life that perhaps um, can, if you're a Christian, point further to the gospel because you're leading with a lamp and those lamps point to the supremacy, the love and the power of God. And if you're a person building in a life of leadership and character, how those things um, speak to the tenacity and the strength of the human spirit and experience. God bless you, and I pray that you've I pray that you have enjoyed this, and I can't wait to speak to you and hear from you next time. Take care. Take care.